To those listening, welcome, as we explore wonders and mysteries and journey into the realm of unknown. Hello everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Realm of Unknown podcast. I'm your host, Shane. I hope you guys are having a good time. Uh, This week has been absolutely insane, hence why this is being uploaded on our end of week uh, due date rather than the beginning of the week for Tuesday. Uh, So yeah, things have been good. Not a whole lot of new developments really for life and everything based off of last week. It's just been insane and uh, it's been busy. Work has been insane, life's been insane, but that's, you know, it's kind of par for the course at this point, so, you know, whatever. So yeah, I uh, I don't really have too much to talk about when it comes to the podcast overall, uh, aside from, obviously, if you want to support it and you want some extra bonus stuff, check out the Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash realm of unknown. After this episode, you will be getting an extra little bonus goodie, as we do every week after every main episode, and uh, that's for every tier list possible. So, now that the uh, the shill, the the mandatory shill is out of the way, we have a weird story to talk about. It's another one, it's very similar, very similar to last week, in which we talked about more or less phenomena compared to you know, a like a cryptid or an alien or, or a ghost. Uh, I'm not going to make this a reoccurring thing. This just happened to be what I kind of wanted to talk about this week. And uh, also it was easy because this week is insane and my other notes are taking a lot longer to actually get done. But this is another sort of real world mystery slash, you know, animal biology type mystery. And uh, this is something that's always kind of fascinated me for a little bit of time, and uh, I dove into it a bit more, gathered a bit more information on it. It's not as mysterious as I originally thought. However, it is still something that I think is really fascinating, and it kind of puts into perspective just how weird and bizarre our world already is. And we don't really need to go as far as looking into, you know, monsters or urban legends or folklore to really find bizarre things because you know the earth already does that on its own and everything on the earth is weird and bizarre and makes no sense whatsoever and this is just another good example of this so today we are going to discuss the mystery surrounding eels (laughs) yeah that's pretty much it More specifically, we're going to be diving into the sort of mystery slash (laughs) head-scratching debacle as to how eels, more specifically freshwater eels, reproduce and mate. Because truthfully, as much as we do know, we know very, very little about this. And you, you're probably wondering, like, why, what is the point of this? What, what? This makes no sense. They're animals. Clearly, you know, they mate. They be, they make new animals. That's the cycle of life. Every, every creature does it. Yes. However, like a lot of different creatures, they also have a lot of weird migratory patterns to them and sort of 
built-in life cycle clocks like a lot of you know wild animals do uh, even our, ourselves kind of and for some odd reason the eel uh, just decided i'm gonna be weird i'm gonna be different and i'm going to do it in such a bizarre sneaky way that i'm going to confuse humans for literal like hundreds of years like we're going to talk about dates from like the 1800s this has been a weird thing that science has slowly been unraveling details about we only really got a lot of more information in you know more recent decades due to uh tracking technology as well as being able to you know sustainably farm these creatures as well as research them in a sort of controlled environment but for several years we did not know anything and i'm going to go into that now so how do eels reproduce? And the mystery of how sort of eel sex is explained. Freshwater eels is what we're going to talk about more specifically. Uh, there's freshwater, saltwater, obviously. They're a type of fish. Freshwater eels are known to spawn in a place known as the Sargasso Sea. Uh, this is after migrating literal thousands of miles across all sorts of freshwater streams, rivers, basins, all over the globe. These are eels from, you know, Japan, Africa, South America, uh, United States and Canada, all over the world. And pretty much all types of freshwater eels will just leave where they are and just travel to this one specific area in the world. And we will talk about that a little bit further as we go through. Uh, but researchers believe that they spawn via external fertilization, which is very similar to most animal, uh, like fish and aquatic animals. Essentially, they just kind of spurt out into the water, and the other one spurts out into the water, and it makes fertilized eggs, essentially. The reproduction of eels has been a mystery for, as I mentioned, literal decades, if not hundreds of years. And uh, it has it still, in a lot of ways, continues to baffle scientists. It, it's even noted that as far back as like ancient Greece, you could probably find some examples. Not so much for this particular mystery, but the idea that they were study, studying eels as a sort of experiment type thing. We know that freshwater eels can be found, like I mentioned, all over the world. Europe, Asia, pretty much every continent, essentially. But still, nobody has ever witnessed wild eels mate. Uh, they have never seen them fully migrate from where they live naturally to where they spawn. Researchers have been able to find some, you know, clues here and there. Again, we mentioned tracking technologies uh, as well as finding fertilized eggs. Uh, but what's even weird and more baffling is that researchers to this day do not fully know where or if these eels even have reproductive organs or eggs to begin with. They have dissected these eels and they can't find them. I think there's there's a note later on in these notes uh, in which they think they may have found like a slight portion of it but it's not definitive, and they, they're like, we don't know. This could be something else. We, like, we literally don't know. It's so weird, and it's so bizarre, and it's like it, this animal that like we literally can tear it apart and like dig into it, pull out all of its organs, and be like, where, where you make babies? Where is this? 
recently also, you know, uh, captive eels have had some sort of push into the study of this uh, with breeding purposes as well as migratory patterns. And we will talk about that later. This is all sort of recaps of what to expect uh, as we go forward. Uh, but it's just kind of to give an idea that we know so very little about this mystery. And it's just fascinating to me. I don't know why I find it so fascinating. I just do. But let, let, let's talk about what eels are like as they are overall. Well, let's explain what eels are to kind of break them down a bit more for people. Uh, obviously, most people probably know what they are, but, you know, it, it pads out the episode. <laughs> eels, what are they? Uh, for example, a good, you know, one is like a mora eel. That is a freshwater good example. Um, but in particular, let's talk about the freshwater ones. Uh, so to be considered an eel, an animal must have a fairly specific set of characteristics. Uh, nothing too particular, but it's enough that distinguishes them from other fish. So most fish have a separate fin uh, in different areas of their bodies, whereas eels are much more elongated and they have a single dorsal fin that goes continuously down the back of their body, down to their butt fins. When it comes to scales, eels may have them. Uh, if they do, they're very small and they're embedded to the skin. If they don't, the absence of scales allows for some eels to produce slime as a sort of defense if they feel threatened. Freshwater eels are known as skin breathers because they have a type of organ underneath the surface of their skin that allows them to absorb oxygen. Uh, and they also have fairly sharp teeth. Again, think of a moray eel as an example of how, how like razor sharp certain eel teeth can actually be. One distinct characteristic and difference between freshwater eels is where they live versus where they breed. Eels who live in freshwater as juveniles and adults, um, however, they again migrate to saltwater in order to breed, and they are born in saltwater. Whereas uh, saltwater species like the moray, uh, they spend the entirety of their life cycle in saltwater. Um, a good example, too, as a point of reference, the electric eel is not a true eel. This is because uh, it lays eggs in freshwater and it lives in freshwater, so it does not share the same behaviors that a true eel is supposed to have in which it travels to saltwater in order to lay its egg. Um, in addition, it has like other stuff like fins and teeth uh, that it does not have. So saltwater versus freshwater, going further. Um, there are certain ways to kind of distinguish them a bit more. Again, most of it has to do with where they live uh, and how they kind of go about their life. So how are, in particular, freshwater uh, eels able to be born in, fresh, uh, in salt water, live in freshwater, and then go back to salt water in order to have sex? This is due to their kidneys actually changing in order to accommodate additional salt. This sort of shift in salinity levels in their blood allows them to switch between the two. Uh, during their adult life, the freshwater eels can be found spending pretty much their entire time in streams and lakes. However, when it is time to mate, as we will discuss, uh, they go downstream once more in order to go to the ocean in very large groups. 
we're going to talk about sort of the life cycle of eels mixed into where the eels kind of breed. When it is time to mate, eels are extremely determined to make it to their breeding site in the Sargasso Sea. Uh, the Sargasso Sea being a sort of two-mile sort of circle-ish square-like region in the ocean between, you know, like the Caribbean Sea slash the Atlantic Ocean area. It kind of takes up areas of the of uh, Bermuda, the Azores, as well as the West Indies. Um, and although most eels travel here, a lot of them live extremely far away. We're talking thousands of miles from, you know, northern Canada, from Japan and Europe. They're all going to this exact same spot. Um, and this is kind of the mystery of like, what is going on? Why do they do this? Let's talk about the life cycle because it kind of explains a bit more the whole process. And we'll get into kind of the weird mysteries of the migration within adult eels. So after the eels lay their eggs, the eggs will float to the surface in which they will hatch. This is the larval stage in which they're very small. They're shaped like a leaf and they are transparent. Uh, and in this stage, they're called uh, leptosophils. So I'm not going to ever say that word again. But the larvals will travel to freshwater locations where they will spend the majority of their life. And this is an incredibly long journey. Uh, the larval stage of eels will drift across the ocean for about a year. Uh, by the time that they make it, they will sort of evolve into their next stage. And this new stage is known as what uh, is dubbed glass eels. This is because at this point, they're still transparent. It's kind of like their kid phase. Uh, they're transparent, however... They look a lot more like eels. They look like very miniature eels at like two to three inches. But again, they're still transparent. Hence the term glass eel. So as glass eels, uh, they will continue searching for fresh water in which they call their home. Similar to mating, these eels are extremely determined to get back to the locations in which they originate from. Uh, sometimes they will migrate to ponds and lakes until they can find a river. And how do they do this? They slither over land like a snake. I'm not even kidding. Like, they're just so weird and bizarre. I don't get it. But, you know, they, they travel further into the river. They begin to evolve more. They start entering their kind of uh, preteen slash juvenile stage known as uh, the Elvers. And in this stage, they are about like like four inches or so. And this is actually a fairly long period of time when it comes to the stages of their life. They, they can be in the Ilver stage for like roughly 20 years. And uh, in, in the entire time, you know, they're still considered juvenile. And a neat little fact, researchers have actually found that eels that live in predominantly freshwater locations, like much further upstream or in a lake, they will actually live much longer and grow much larger to the counterparts that are closer to the water or to the ocean, which is another weird mystery because the ones that live near the ocean, such as like brackish areas or basins, like they will actually age quicker and mature faster than the exact same types that are elsewhere up the river. It, 
like it just makes nothing about them makes any sense and that's why i think i love this mystery so much because it makes no sense like i know it's 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 nature it's bizarre but it's just it's so bizarre so the breeding process again researchers are not certain when eels develop their sexual organs because we kind of lack juvenile eels to kind of study the full process uh, however, they have recorded some instances of gonads in eels within their late juvenile stage, roughly like 11-inch size eels. However, they're not certain on this. Like, they, they literally say that this could not be what this is. We don't actually know. Uh, and researchers believe that a lot of environmental factors could actually play into what determines an eel being ready for sexual maturity. Uh, this could be stuff like the temperature or the uh, salinity levels, like we mentioned, like how they transfer back into salt water. All these things could kind of determine what is going on. And, and a weird, unique thing, too, that the researchers think that if the eel population is low, that more female eels will just, like, be a thing. I I don't know how. I don't know if they shift their organs uh and sexual stuff in order to be female like uh you know like asexual creatures or like trees or or clownfish do i don't know i don't know if they do this they, apparently it's just a thing that there's more females now like it's just so weird every weird thing that you can think about is a thing when it comes to eels it's just it's just it's great it's great when the eelvers become adults this is literally like when the f switch flips and they're like, all right, we got to go make some babies and die. Like, that is it. Once they become an adult, they're like, all right, bet I'm going back into the ocean, going back to the Caribbean. I'm having crazy sex with whomever I find because there's going to be thousands of us from all over the globe. So exotic. And we're all going to have sex. And then we're all of us. All together in a big group, we're just gonna croak, and our corpses are just gonna float around. That's it. That that is what adult eels have to look forward to. Um, like they they do not survive the reproduction process. You know, a lot of animals don't for certain reasons, like insects don't, certain uh, fish don't. But it's just a weird thing on top of all of this to just be like, yeah, we're just gonna die. It's just like I said, every weird thing. Every weird thing is just happening with eels. It's just, it's so bizarre. This whole process starts between late winter and early spring is when that sort of switch flips and the adults start heading down their rivers in mass, uh, traveling thousands of miles to their spawning location uh, in order to die. When eels spawn, uh, like I mentioned, this is the last thing they do, but how does the spawning process actually work? Again, we don't know. We theorize that they do it through external fertilization, like a lot of fish do, uh, in which both male and females will kind of release their sexual genes into the water uh, in order to create fertilized eel eggs. Um, one female could produce like 2 to 10 million eggs, so there's a lot. Obviously, most of them don't survive, duh. Especially, too, if your parents are just dying around you. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of fish species that are like, ooh, free dinner. <laughs> but yeah, like, that's just what they do. Uh, and another bizarre thing in relation to the migration itself. 
the adult eel. You're probably wondering, how does it survive such a long journey to the Sargasso Sea when they could literally be living thousands of miles away? So, unlike when they're babies in their juvenile stage and they're, you know, making their way back home, the adult eels making their way to the Caribbean area, they don't stop at all. They do not stop to eat. They do not stop to sleep. They just go. And in order to accommodate this, there's a lot of things that happen to their body. Their stomach actually begins to deteriorate. Blood vessels around their swim bladder begin to increase so that they can stay afloat and support themselves further distances. Uh, And they actually grow their eyes. Like their eyes expand somehow in order to accommodate uh, more sensitivity to blue wave lights, uh, wavelengths of light that they can travel at night. They literally do not stop at all. At all. Uh, the moment they start, they're going there and nothing is going to stop them unless it kills them. It's just so weird. It's I'm t- like, it's so weird. It Of all animals I've heard weird stuff about, this to me, continues to take the cake. So moving along, the process of figuring out eel reproduction has been a very long one for us humans and us researchers out there. Uh, For several years of way back in history, we actually thought that the different stages of eel life, there's like five, but we talked about like four typically, we actually thought that they were different animals altogether. The larval stage, we thought that was a different type of fish. The ilver stage, we thought that was a different type of fish. We didn't piece together that they were all the exact same thing until fairly recently in, like, history-wise stuff. So it wasn't until 1896 when the larval stage was recognized as that of a larval eel. Still, we didn't know where they came from. Around this time, for about 20 years or so, a Danish oceanographer known as Johannes Schmidt actually traveled the Atlantic Ocean in order to determine where this was located. Uh, This is where he found that the smallest larva that he could document, uh, again at that time, was just off the edge of the Sargasso Sea, which is clearly now that they're like, all right, so the small ones are here, the big ones are further out. This is probably where they go, guys, like, I don't know what they do there, but this is the area. They narrowed it down to 2 million square miles, so good on them. And uh, for the longest time, researchers believed that, obviously, they just spawned from this location. They didn't fully know all the stages at this point, but over time, we slowly did. Uh, We learned about the migration. Uh, However, it was not until, you know, a few years ago that we were able to actually observe most of the migration and sort of uh, eventual breeding pattern, even though we haven't seen the breeding part. But a few years ago, we were able to change some of this as researchers were able to track a handful of a American eels. So Canadian researchers off the coast of Nova Scotia attached GPS trackers to 38 American eels, a whopping 28 of those eels successfully were tracked for a significant portion of the distance 
However, it was one lone eel that the researchers were able to track for the entirety of the migration back down to the Sargasso Sea. The eel swam to the northern part of the Sargasso Sea after migrating a 1,500 miles, or 2,400 kilometers, across 45 days. Without stopping. It just went. And that is bizarre. That that's the moment like they don't know what happened once it got there. Obviously, it probably died after having sex. But we at least know that this confirms like the the theories that hey, these things go there. We don't know why they just do. But again, this is a huge step after hundreds of years of trying to figure this out. That hey, we kind of know what's going on. Um, and obviously, I'm sure some of you are probably wondering what Shane like what happens with stuff that are captive like what about eels that are not wild, essentially. It, it's a bit difficult to care for when it's like a pet. However, when it comes to farms, like where they actually like farm eels, there is some additional info in this regard. In places, you know, in the, the Eastern Hemisphere, you know, in Japan, China, Australia, uh, a lot of European countries... Eel is a huge delicacy. Like, it is a huge delicacy over there. Uh, so eel farming has become a very large thing. Um, like, 50 to 60% of all eel meat is coming from eel farms. So they're actually able to induce the sort of sexual phase of eels via, like, hormones and chemicals uh, in order to kind of get to that stage. Obviously, it's not the exact same as like the full mysterious migrational pattern type thing, but it's something that we're able to somewhat monitor. It's it's slightly different. Obviously, though, we still don't know about the whole sexual organ thing. Like we we still don't even know that, despite captive eels being able to reproduce. Like that kind of seems bizarre to me, but whatever. Like we just we can literally dissect them, rip them apart and not know what the hell is in there. Like, we just don't know where they are. Um, and that's that's bizarre. It's just weird to me. But yeah, that that's it. Uh, like I mentioned, this episode is really weird. It's bizarre. It makes no sense. And I just wanted to talk about it because this has been a story that I have grown in interest for years now. Uh, I've brought it up to people, and they're like, no, like... No, like that's not a thing. And I'm like, this is a thing. This is a thing. Uh, eels are weird. They're, they're dumb and they're weird. And again, I'm not going to make this a recurring pattern on the uh, channel because obvious or the, the podcast, the channel. God, what am I in 2015? <laughs> We're going to do some of this sort of stuff every now and again because it's bizarre mysteries and, and I, I kind of like it a lot. But We'll get back into ghost stuff. We'll get back into conspiracies and cryptids and stuff like that in the future. But I wanted to get this out there just because it was a fun topic and um, easy, an easy thing to discuss. But yeah, if you guys enjoyed this or if you have any weird experiences with animals yourselves or if you had a pet eel, if you had a pet eel and it somehow had babies, feel free to let me know. Feel free to reach out. Uh, you can reach us via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all over the place, uh, or email at realmofunknown at gmail.com. And again, if you enjoyed this and you wish to see more out of the Realm of Unknown podcast and you wish to support, 
there are two really amazing ways that you can do so. First, obviously, uh, is financially via the Patreon, where you get a bunch of weekly bonus stuff after every episode, monthly polls, behind-the-scenes goodies, all sorts of good stuff. Uh, it's a $1, 3 and $5 tier list. And again, that's Realm of... Uh, it's not Realm. It's Patreon.com slash Realm of Unknown. And if you can't do that, obviously it's a really rough time right now. Uh, but it's another way to really help the podcast, really help the brand overall. It's to leave a review. Uh, leaving a review really helps, especially with my kind of erratic <laughs> upload schedule that I'm trying to get back to being better with. But... Leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify now, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts really does go a long way with the algorithms and all the other goodies of this competitive, competitive field. Preferably five star, but I get it if you don't want to. I don't really nitpick too much when it comes to that. But yeah, I, I that's all I really have for today's episode. Uh, again, check out the Patreon because right after this, I am going to be recording the weekly episode and it's it's an interesting one this time. I think I at least think so. Um, but until then, guys, I hope you had a really great time. And I hope you guys have a great rest of the week until next week. But remember, until then, to stay spooky. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you.